What's up, guys? You guys can be seated. What a great time of worship that was. And, and as I was worshiping over here, I just, I just was reminded that God is a consuming fire. He wants all of us. And in moments of worship like this, we, we can experience his, his jealous love for us. And so tonight, we're, we're thankful to be here. Last week, it was like 100 and something degrees in here, not even outside. And then this week, it's, it's raining and hurricanes and all these things are going on. But you know what I enjoy the most is that you guys are willing and, and wanting to show up. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, even if this room was empty, I would still be preaching to an empty room. And, and so, um, but with that said, I just, I, I, I want to welcome you guys. I know that uh, some of you are maybe new here. Um, I, I know that there maybe is a group of CBU students here. Anyone from CBU? up in this house. Don't be shy. There you guys are over in the back. Perfect. So uh, people who have been here for a while know that there's new people in the room, and this is an opportunity for you uh, to get to know them and welcome them back and even to church on Sunday. Uh, but with that said, we also understand that some of you are, are skeptical. Maybe you've come to this place and, and you're really searching for God. And so we want to say uh, that we know you're here, and we're grateful that we're that you're here, and, and we pray that you would genuinely have an experience and, and be persuaded uh, by God and his love and his gospel. That in this place, you would experience God's love uh, amongst his people, and that you would see something different in here than within the world. And so with that said, uh, we're actually, we just started a new series. Some of you guys uh, know this, and, and so this series is called Does the Bible dot dot dot, not dot dot, but dot dot dot. And uh, so we've been tackling some of these bigger topics within our culture and things that are somewhat issues that we face as Christians. And so last week uh, we read uh, from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. We, we read that together, and so I kind of like that, and I want to do that again with you guys, if you guys would like and be okay with. And so it's going to go on the screen right now, and we're going to read it together. This is out of the ESV. And so, there it is. All right, let's, let's read it together. Ready? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Tonight, we're going to ask the question, does the Bible talk about addiction? Now, within today's world, the term addiction has become a familiar word, something that we face because we're actually in a deadly pandemic of drugs. Usually, when we hear the word addiction, our minds go to the most obvious external addictions in society, like alcohol and marijuana or weed or cocaine or heroin or fentanyl is a big one right now, right? Or, or methamphetamines or whatever narcotics on the street. Uh, we think about these things as being the most prominent in our culture today. Maybe you haven't experienced uh, some of these things, these substance, substances, or you've actually even lost someone. Maybe someone close to you. Maybe it was a family member or a friend that you grew up with that you lost them to an addiction. As some of you know, I, I both use drugs and I've lost many friends to drugs over the years. Um, just last week, I, I 
a guy that I grew up with, a guy that I was in junior high with, uh, someone I knew for years just passed away from an overdose. It's very sad. You see them post online, right? You see on Instagram, it's, it's farewell, I'll see you soon, or, or whatever. And so it's, it's heartbreaking that you see young men and women giving over themselves to an addiction and it taking their life. Um, from my understanding, most substances, most uh, people who abuse substances don't start out that way. They, they actually just start with the desire to alter the, the phys- uh, a physical experience. They want to feel something outside the natural experience of the body. It can be pleasurable. We have to admit, drugs and, and, and those things are pleasurable at first. Then over time, it becomes a habit. It, it's, it, it forms a habit within the life of a person that leads to a destructive bondage in the person's life. What is interesting is that the word addiction comes from the Latin word that means to give oneself over or to surrender. As one dictionary defined it to be is to be devoted or to sacrifice or to sell out or to betray or even to abandon. Within the Roman law, an addiction was when a person became enslaved by the ruling of the courts. They subjected themselves in obedience to its power and sentencing. This definition is quite uh, different from our modern usage, though it still holds some of its core concepts. I like what one author said by the name of Ed Welch. He, he summed it up as this. He said, addictions are compulsive searches for a desire, desired object or state of mind that are genu- generally unresponsive to the inevitable harmful consequences of those compulsive searches. Well, that was a mouthful, wasn't it? Understanding addiction in this way allows us to see that addiction and bondage to a certain sub, or, uh, substance or object can happen a thousand different ways. It is said that our heart is prone to wander. Our heart is an idol factory, just waiting for the next thing for us to worship. Some of the more socially acceptable addictions we are, we're tempted with are addictions to sexual experiences. We have seen through history its tragic results. Now more than ever, a generation is faced and exposed to so much sexual temptation through dating apps and entertainment and pocket pornography that it has become a part of our cultural upbringing. It becomes socially accepted. HuffPost put an article out that said one out of three young males become excessive users of pornography by the age of 15. One misconception of pornography is that this, uh, this is predominantly a male addiction. When, it re- when, when in reality, girls become addicted just as easily. Another addiction we are tempted with is, is social media and video games. Some of you are like, oh, why do you got to talk about that? Right? That's my golden calf, right? Don't touch it. But how many of us really scroll or give our life over to video games and social platforms for hours at a time without even really thinking about it? 
when using social platforms, our minds are releasing endorphins, just like a dope user, actually. It's a drug. Every time we see another post or receive another like, it's a dose that our brain gives to us. Unfortunately, this is all due to wanting to stay connected, right? We want to stay connected, but what really happens is we become even more disconnected. We, we escape our reality. We could be sitting at a table with others on our social devices and not even have a conversation with them and call that hanging out. What is amazing is that we don't even put up a fight, do we? What are we fighting for, you may ask? We're, we're fighting for freedom. We're fighting for freedom not only just from substances, but freedom from our digital devices. Looking at the gaming world, we, we notice that this next generation is being, being consumed by it. Kids would rather stay up all night spending hours in an alternative universe than to experience ordinary interactions. Some of you are like, hey, that's me. You're still a kid. I'm just kidding. What's funny is kids miss the opportunity to be outside in the neighborhood playing, right? With all of this said, how does... How do we as Christians view such addictions? How can we think biblically about such temptations and habits in our lives? And does the Bible have anything to say about living free from these things? Well, uh, although the Bible doesn't directly mention the word addiction, some of you maybe were looking it up right now, it does have a lot to say about bondage and how we are how our members can become enslaved to sin and lawlessness. In Paul's letter to the, the church in Rome, he describes for us what addiction really is. It's enslavement. Tonight, we will look at a passage in Romans 6, 15 through 23. So if you guys have your Bibles with you, you guys can open that up. And here we see the contrast between serving Two different masters. Before we jump in the text, let me just let, let me just pray real quick, as um, as we invite and ask the Lord to give us eyes to see and hearts to receive His Word. Pray with me now, Lord. Tonight we we look to you, and even though our hearts might be skeptical, maybe our hearts are hardened, maybe. This was just a tough week, Lord, and, but we're here, and we're willing. And you say, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. So, Lord, we give you our ears. Lord, we give you our hearts. We ask that you would speak into our hearts that this wouldn't just be information that is given to us, but transformation would take place. That, Lord, when we leave this place, we would look more like you and less of ourselves from the past. We thank you for meeting us here with your spirit. 
Spirit, lead us in truth. Do what you do best. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to begin in Romans 6, verse 16. And it says this, and I'm reading out of the ESV. It says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God. Isn't that how we should respond to the word? That you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms, meaning he's using an analogy to teach us something here. Because of your natural limitations... For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when we were slaves in sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, free to do whatever you want. But what fruit were you getting at the time from these things of which you had no shame? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin, have become a slave or become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, thanks be to God. From this passage, we learn the reality of sin and the consequences of its craving. First, we learn everyone is, a, is mastered by something. You're either mastered by sin or you're mastered by God. All of mankind serves one of these two masters. Either obedience to sin, which leads to death, or obedience to Jesus, which leads to righteousness. Everyone devotes themselves to something. No one's really free. We give ourselves to something or someone or some kind of cause, whether we like to admit it or not. We obey it, we surrender to it, and we give ourselves over and over again and again. Jesus said something similar to his disciples, did he not? He said, you can't serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, although Jesus is specifically speaking about the obsession of the love of money, the rule still applies. And I think this is what Paul had in mind. You either will serve sin or you will serve God. The Bible says if we are not devoted to God, we are devoted to another master. And that master is sin. As one commentator, Kent Hughes, said, there is no middle ground. There's no in-between here. It's not, yeah, I serve God a little bit, but then I serve myself in my sin. 
But isn't this true about addiction? Does it not become a godlike force in our life? We're, we obvious, obviously know about the, the, the addictions and the sin we should not do. But what I'm trying to get at tonight is the ones that we say are okay. The ones that are really those godlike forces in our life that, that we're not willing to give up. The one that's a cruel master that demands our complete attention and loyalty. See, sin or addiction woos us in the beginning. It sways us by its pleasure. It actually seems freeing, does it not? But in the end, it hurts us. It hurts God. And it it demands more than we are willing to give. When we first indulge, we we treat it like a refuge or a place to cope with life's biggest issues. It's an escapism. We drink our sorrows away. We take a hit to find find momentary uh, satisfaction and joy. We, We escape our reality. We do that thing one last time because, man, it feels so good. However, it becomes a prison where we are no longer able to flight from its walls, but are held captive by its power. When I was studying the word, I realized that this attack is not so much on us. See, the attack is on God. Something has taken the place of God in our lives. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in our time of need. Sometimes we put our addiction or the thing that has power over our life as the very refuge where God should be. The psalmist redirects our attention. Let's not be mistaken, the psalmist here in Psalm 46 is struggling to put God first, is struggling to go to God. So he redirects his attention and our attention to the one who truly matters, the one who should be our trust in, our go-to, the one who has created us with the only satisfying element is he himself. He is the one true God, and there is no other. If God is replaced by our addiction, our addiction becomes our idol. In doing so, we break God's greatest command to love God with all our hearts, minds, soul, and strength. Like the psalmist, Paul does the very same in Romans. He says that, thanks be to God for having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of righteousness. The point of his argument is this, that because of divine grace, the Christian has been liberated from obeying their sinful nature. And guess who now they obey? They have been given freedom and liberation to obey Christ. This is why Jesus says, Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. The Christian is set free and called to obey God's law. We have received freedom to lovingly submit to God. 
we must then not just use our freedom to sin, right, that, that grace would abound, for if we do so, we will be putting ourselves under the mastery of it once again. This biblical principle is applied to all of life. That's why tonight I'm not really honing in on one particular addiction or the other. I'm saying, hey, anything that becomes or goes before God is wrong. Anything that we put in front of him or in replacement of him, that addiction, that substance, that source is an idol. And we must deal with it. So whether it's alcohol or narcotics or the digital, digital devices that we use, we must remain free. It's a fight for freedom. For Christ came to set the captives free. Anytime our desires are directed away from God, our heart's tendency is to pursue things lesser than God. When this happens, our, des our desires are left with wanting more and more. Have you ever experienced that scrolling? Well, I just, I can't, I just need something to... And then you leave frustrated, right? You're like, man, that was so unsatisfying. I just wasted like an hour of my life. But you know what? I'll do it again tomorrow. Actually, I'll do it again in about 15 minutes. This wanting more and more is something that we also see in the scriptures. And it brings us to our second point. That we pursue, we're either going to pursue more sin or we're going to pursue more of holiness in our life. Verse 19, the word of God says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. As we have established, addiction is wrong because it's putting, putting something in the place of God. Breaking the first and greatest commandment. And although believers have autonomy, meaning they have freedom to enjoy God's good gifts, right? There are some things that we have freedom to enjoy in this world. They should not be controlled. The, the believer should not be controlled by anything or by anyone. But they should be controlled by Christ. A few weeks ago, we looked at a passage in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Where Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated or mastered by anything. This, in context, was how the believer was supposed to live wisely. Wisely in doing good to others for the glory of God. Paul's wisdom is foundational for anything that can be habit-forming in our life. What we are invited to consider is the result of serving our sinful desires. Look at the passage again. He says, lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. Isn't that so true? I think about my own personal testimony, and it was sin leading to more sin. That, that, ex that actually summed up my whole life until I was like 22 years old, was everything was like a snowball effect. The more I presented myself to sin, the more sin increased in my life. Maybe you guys can experience that too. Maybe you're in that right now. I don't know. I don't know where you are. 
Some of you know my story, but to make a long story short, I was, I was addicted to all kinds of drugs. Actually, I was open to anything and everything. I would have taken anything because I thought that was, that was an experience that I wanted, right? That, that was something that I was looking forward to in my life. But guess what? It didn't start that way, did it? It wasn't like one day I woke up and I was like, yeah, give me some acid, give me some shrooms, give me... No, it was, it was honestly just a, a, a little compromise here and there. A little weed, a, a, a little cocaine, whatever it was. It was sin leading to more sin. My life choices and drug use led to many other sins. Smoking weed in high school led to ecstasy, hallucinogenics, which led to cocaine, which led to Oxycontin, which then I was smoking heroin by the age of 18. By the age of 19, I was slamming in my arm. And all the while, I was committing sin. I was breaking the law to get another high. I was violent. I was uncontrollable in my life. And I caused so much hurt. Those are the things that I was doing to myself, but I hurt so many people in the process of that. See, not only was my mind open to all these narcotics, all these things, but it changed who I was. I was a monster. I'm not the same person standing here today, thanks be to God. See, when I heard the gospel, the grace of God transformed my life, setting me free from my bondage. Trust me, I needed to be set free. I don't know if you've ever known a heroin addict before or someone who's dealt with hard drugs, but it's not the easiest thing to kick. Actually, it's probably the one that's the most addictive in a lot of ways. But when I was set free, I was no longer a slave to sin. I became a slave to God. God's Spirit gave me the ability to live a self-controlled life. That's what it means to be set free, to live a self-controlled life instead of being self-indulged. In Ephesians 5.18, the Word of God says, Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Let us be clear, wine is not a sin. Self-indulging to the point of being out of control is a sin. The Christian then is to live wisely, avoiding anything that would lead to the bondage of sin or a loss of self-control. We know that it's not just narcotics that lead us this way. Sometimes even sexual sin lead us in this direction, being uncontrolled, being dominated by our desires, giving into it over and over again, even at the point when we don't even want to do it. No, I don't want to do that anymore. But then you give it into it again. Man, I need to separate myself from my friend. Then you find another friend. Moreover, our life is to be lived in a way that is pleasing to God. Romans 12.1 says that we are to present ourselves, our bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. 
What this means is that every capacity of our being, everything that we are, is devoted to right living before God. Therefore, we cannot be choosy in which and how we present ourselves in service to God. We can't just be selective in our hearing of the word of God, right? I kind of like that. I like what God said there. That kind of applies to my life. But that over there, I'm just going to skip over that. If the scriptures are clashing with your, your life, something needs to change. We must agree with God. Take responsibility. Ask God to free you from that. Don't skip over that verse again. Say, yeah, that's not really for me. Verse 17 says, We have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you have been committed. I love that. We have submitted our lives to lovingly and obediently following God's word. Right? That means right here in this room, as I'm teaching, I hope that's what I'm doing, I'm teaching the word of God to you so that you know what God says. These are not my thoughts. These are God's words. And he's teaching us how to live wisely before him. That our, our very being, our full capacity, every part of our existence would be in service to him and not to our sin. See, if we don't submit our lives in this way, and all we do is whatever we want to do, guess what? We're really not living for God. Even though you say it. Even though you say you're Christian, and, and you read the Bible, you could read the Bible all you want, but if you don't start applying it to your life, it's nothing. You're not a Christian because you read the Bible, right? Atheists read the Bible all the time. Actually, some atheists read the Bible more than Christians. They know more about our doctrines and, and God than we do at times. It doesn't mean that they're saved. So we need to start treating the Bible rightly. And that's why we read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, that it's, it, all Scripture is breathed out by God. When we hear, do we hear God speaking? Do we understand that in the moment of hearing God's word, that it is alive and active, active and sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing the soul? Applying this to our lives means to live it out every day in an effort to treat God as our highest good and master. He is our master. He's a good master. He's gracious and loving, full of kindness, full of mercy, full of compassion. He is our primary motivation in life. He is the reason why we move and breathe in life. When we live for Christ in this way, God says we are being conformed to the image and being prepared for the age to come. He says sanctification there. Being set apart for holiness. God is setting you apart for holy living. You, you shouldn't look the same as you did years ago. 
trust me, I'm not the same guy I was 10 years ago. Not only have I become older and maybe a little wider, but my life has changed. The way that I live, the way that I see things, the way that I love people, the way that I sacrifice. This brings us to our third and final point. We learn we either receive death or life. That's pretty heavy. Verses 21 and 22 read again, But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. Kind of a side note, have you seen how Paul is doing a comparison with these things? Each passage talks about it's either sin or God. It's, it's either lawlessness or righteousness. It's either death or it's life. What Paul says here is true. What God says here is true. Enslavement to sin can only bring shame and death to all who are controlled by it. It is said, shame is the leading result of sin. Usually uh, shame happens when we begin to think clearly about ourselves. We look inwardly, causing self-pity at times, or remorse that, that we did something and hurt someone. It's a, it's a clarity of ourselves. Many of us can think of some of these shameful things that we did in the past. Trust me, my testimony is very shameful. Some things I wish I would forget, to be honest with you. However, shame does not necessarily lead to repentance. Did you know that? Just because you're sorry for something doesn't mean it looks or is repentance. Rather, it leads, here it says, it leads to death, now and forever. What is interesting is sometimes people who are in bondage to sin are not even thinking clearly. They don't see themselves clearly, do they? In fact, usually they're they're oblivious to, to what they're doing, their own demise, where they're heading. Most addicts, most people who are controlled by some sort of substance, don't even care about tomorrow. They're just like, I'm living for the now. I'll spend all my money. I'll, I'll go out into the night. I don't even know how I'm going to get back home as long as I'm high. They like to blame others. I used to blame people all the time. What's wrong with that dude? Right? What's his deal? They can't take responsibility. They don't see themselves clearly. And although they may be unaware of their shame at first, their sin will eventually lead to disgrace and even death before the Lord. That is their demise. James 1.14 says, Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. In the Bible, death is significant because it expresses a physical experience that we all face. We all face, in this life, physical death. However, 
death also is understood to be a profoundly spiritual thing as well. Death in our physical bodies points to a greater spiritual death when a person is separated from God. As we're uh, well aware of, addiction to certain sins do lead to physical death. We talked about that in the beginning. Some people will die in their addiction. It's very sad. I remember years ago, I was, I was working in a restaurant. It was before I worked here. And there was this gentleman. He was like 65 years old. And there was a time when he got clean. And he, and he became a Christian. And he believed in God. And then like at 50 years old, he relapsed into heroin. And so I met him at like 65 years old. And I was a recovering heroin addict. And I was a Christian. And so I would go over to his house because his, I worked with his wife, and I would witness to them, him. I would, I would sit there, and I would read the Bible, and I would plead with this man to get off the drugs. Why? Why be enslaved? He literally was like captive in his living room. He wouldn't even leave, only to go and get drugs. The saddest thing about the whole story is that he eventually died in his addiction. He hung himself. At 65, he thought he had it beat at 50, but he thought he deserved to get high one last time, change the whole course of his life. Yet death to the sinner is not their biggest problem, is it? The biggest problem for the sinner is spiritual death. This truth is what is at the heart of Romans 6. Slavery to anything other than God will lead to spiritual separation and death forever. Do you really want to play around with that? You might not care if you die. I care if you die. But think about the eternal weight of that. Yet there's hope for the sinner, is there not? Verse 23, I love this, and we know this. Verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word wage here is a term used for when a master or commander gives wages to their workers in order to sustain their daily living. This is also true of sin. Death is daily working in the lives of those who are given over to sin. And one day, death will have its final payment on the sinner. In contrast, God does not pay wages like sin. What he gives cannot be earned. It is only freely given. For when Christ came our, as our master, he, he freed us from our sinful desires and addictions. We not only became liberated from the dominion of sin, but we are given the free gift of eternal hope. This is all done by grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. Although sin brought death, Christ, Christ's grace brings life forever. The gospel tells us that Jesus became our sin. 
He took our shame and he nailed it to Calvary. That the wages of sin is death. So what did he do? He took death on. He took death to the grave. Yet he rose victoriously because death did not have dominion over him. 1 Corinthians 15.55 says, The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In closing, we must all take an account of our lives. We must all think clearly, have a moment of clarity about the way that we're living before God. The questions that we're faced with is, whom do I serve? What is controlling or leading my life? Or how Paul says it in verse 15, are we to sin because we are under grace now? That's his whole argument. And he says, by no means. It is easy to see the obvious issues with addictions to narcotics and substance abuse. But what about those socially accepted cravings that consume people's lives without ever being checked? Have you checked yourself recently? What about some of the good things that have become godlike things, like work or success or possessions? Or maybe it's the love of money, or, or it's a sexual relationship that has control over your life. Or for others, it could be pornography or a secret sin that no one knows about. Today, there is really good news for you, for us, that thanks be to God, those who put their faith in Jesus no longer are subject to the mastery of sin. We are free in Christ. Today, we have real freedom. For those who have never received Christ as their Lord and Savior, in this moment, he's calling you to turn from yourself, to turn from your sin, and to turn towards him. The Bible calls this repentance. It is a turning away. It's not just going in a, a slightly different direction. It's actually uh, taking an opposite direction and doing a 180 and walking in the complete opposite direction. God is calling you to turn around and to see him. To see his love, his forgiveness, that, that the gift that he offers is exclusively in Christ. For in Christ there is freedom, fulfillment, and eternal life forever. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight, and Lord, even though this is somewhat of a heavy message, Lord, you bear the weight of it. Christ, we did nothing to deserve the gift, but you gave it to us anyways. You took our place on that cross. You bore our sin. And in response, Lord, we, we want to say thank you. Lord, I pray for those who maybe are here tonight and there was a clarity of self. clarity of 
What's in control of them? That, Lord, it's not you. It's something else. Lord, would the beauty of yourself and your gospel lead them to a place of true repentance? Would they see you clearly? Would they hear you clearly speaking to their hearts? And that, Lord, they wouldn't be persuaded by the sin of this world, but they would be persuaded by your love, your mercy, and your kindness towards us. Lord, I pray that tonight we would store these things up in our hearts, that, Lord, you've set us free, and we're free to obey you. We're free to worship you. And so, Lord, this next moment, we get to do just that. We get to use our members, our hands, our, our, our mouths, our eyes, our voices to worship you. Full capacity. Everything who we are is given to you because you are worthy of it all. Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us. And we respond now in praise. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.